Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Today is simply about symbols. And symbols are such an important aspect of our daily lives. In fact, if you don't know about symbols, you cannot drive. Because we drive using symbols. Symbols guide us on where to turn, where not to turn. And if you haven't learned that, Lasma is going to teach you. <laughs> Has Lasma caught you before? <laughs> Even though some, in some places there is no sign, Lasma is the sign. But we also use traffic lights. The green says what? The red says? The yellow says what? So we know about signs and symbols. Virtually all businesses today have a logo. Signs, symbols. The Bible also has signs and symbols. And there's a branch of theology called typology. And typology, as the name implies, is the study of types, study of um, signs. Signs in the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, that prefigured the coming of Christ. And to explain that, I want to break that down in a way that you will never forget. I want you to picture Moses as a movie director. And the synopsis of his movie is new creation realities. You want to tell in a movie what Christ is going to do for the believer. So that by watching your movie, they will see prophetically who they will be in Christ. That was Moses' goal. Episode 1 was about redemption. And in this episode, you have the responsibility to, to show that Christ is going to die. He's going to rise again. And how are you going to do that? I forgot to mention, it's a low-budget movie. He doesn't really have the technology. Have you seen a low-budget movie before? Where um, you're pricing, how much is a real gun? Ah, it's too expensive. Okay, instead of gun sound, let's use slippers. We'll hit this. Bah! Haven't you heard? Come on, don't act like you don't know. Haven't you seen a movie that the bullet sounded like this? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and, and, and stuff like that. So how do we show death and resurrection? That's complex. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to use lambs. The lamb has to be white, signifying that the true Messiah will be spotless and sinless. And then the lamb has to be killed in public, signifying that the Christ will die in a public place in the view of everyone. But then, the lamb and the blood of the lamb will be taken into the temple by the priests. And that one is just, you know, in movies they use doubles. This is an example of a double in movie because in actual reality it's meant to be the same person. In the true salvation story, the lamb is also the high priest. After he died, he ascended into heaven with his own blood. Are you getting what I'm saying? But yeah, it's a low-budget movie, so they have to do, use a lamb and then use a priest. And so the priest enters. Even the blood is type and shadow. The resurrected body has no blood. You don't present blood to God. God is not Oshun or, or, or Ogun. He doesn't take blood. The blood was to signify his life given for us and how we entered into the most holy place. 
And all of that was signified in the Old Testament sacrifice. It was not an ordinance. It was a prophetic movie to show you what was to happen. Are you getting this? Pay attention. So, well, episode one, we know that Christ is going to die. We know that Christ is going to rise. But how are you going to show the impact on the believer, especially what it will do against the sin problem? Moses, what are you going to do about that? And God says, I have an idea. Circumcision. Even though in the New Testament, the Bible says the body of sin will be destroyed. That part of man that makes sin irresistible. There are many metaphors to describe that part. It's called flesh or the old man. It says the old man will be destroyed. That part. So now in Christ, sin is not irresistible. How are you going to show that? Well, you can't destroy your body. So what are you going to do? You're going to peel off the foreskin of the private part of all your males to show that a part of you will be peeled off in Christ. Specifically the part represent, representing sin. So now he acted that out. All right. Even though the true circumcision like I established um, last week is without hands. Were you blessed by that sermon? Yes, sir. Now, we come to the next part. Redemption part two. A spin-off of the first episode. You've shown death. You've shown resurrection. How are you going to show burial? Because Christ is going to be buried. And I know that you can't say everything in one episode, but you have to talk about that. How are we going to talk about that? And then the answer is baptism. Turn your Bibles, Romans chapter 6, from verse 1 to 3. You know what? Go straight to verse 3. Verse 4, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into what? So it says we were what? Buried with him through baptism into death. So how are you going to show that the death of Jesus will be our death? How are you going to show that Jesus himself will, will die and be buried? The answer is baptism. Come on, are you with me? So I said all of that to say this as a matter of fact. In your understanding of the Bible, you have to understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. For many people, the difference is just that blank sheet in between the books. They thought after they had written Genesis to Malachi, they needed a commercial break. <sighs> Let's rest. So they just put a blank page. But there are a lot of differences. First and foremost, the communication of the Old Testament is different. There were a lot of types and shadows and symbols. Prophetic movies. Have you seen a movie that painted scenarios, wishful scenarios in real life, and it eventually happened? I remember I saw a movie that portrayed a black president of the United States of America years ago, and it happened, right? Now, the, the Old Testament is replete with prophetic movies, stories of things that will happen. But the New Testament, no stories, no circumlocution. It was taught clearly. So you have to see that the communication in the Old Testament and the New Testament is different. That's why Leviticus is so hard for you to understand. 
You know Leviticus, your favorite book of the Bible. But when you learn what I'm teaching you, you will see the Old Testament in a new light. It will all open up. I remember for a long time, Ezekiel, Isaiah, those were my favorite books. And not for warfare prayer. You know, people who like those books is for warfare prayer. They just like to read some mysteries there. <laughs> Turn your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 3. I want us to be as fast as possible. It says, God, who at sundry times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. So listen, in time past, God spoke in how many ways? Various ways. Through symbols especially. Pay attention. So if he says, oh, I've told you in various ways. Meaning, I'm not just talking about speech. Are you getting what I'm saying? Pay attention. He spoke unto our fathers by the prophets. When Moses spoke, he was talking about his revelation of God. The people weren't there. He was on the mountain. He was the one who had an encounter with God, came back with, the, with his face radiant and told the people about God. And so he says, God in time past spoke unto the fathers by the prophets. Verse 2. But in these last days, so the way God has spoken in these last days is different. Are you getting this? So the mode of communication in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is different. This is, just, this is just Bible study. Pay attention. He says, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. I remember years ago, my parents bought this desktop in the house. And of all the things there was to enjoy about that um, desktop, there was one app called Encarta. How many of you remember Encarta? Now, how many of you ever used the 3D feature in Encarta to move around the White House and you were like the Oval Office and all of that? And Encarta is nice. But just imagine you get an invite to the White House. Amen, somebody? Amen. And Joe Biden says, okay, that house that you've been seeing in your computer, I want to show you. It's my house. I live there. What will you do to Encarta? <laughs> you will just put it aside. <laughs> You put Enkata in a carton. <laughs> and then you enter your plane and you go to the real White House. And that's what you see in the Old Testament versus New Testament. God spoke unto the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. And that's not to say the prophets said anything wrong. It's just to say that the son has more authority and more clarity. And that's what he's trying to tell you here. He's differentiating the son. He says, whom he had appointed of all things, authority. Say authority. Through whom he made the world, still authority. Verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Meaning, in Christ, you can't get the revelation of God wrong. In Christ is clarity. That's why sometimes you read. You know, something's in the Old Testament and you're like, is God like this? Most questions about the nature and the character of God are in the Old Testament. Have you noticed? Why would the prophet order um, a bear to come and kill people, children? Because they were laughing at your bald head. You know, who you, you've wondered about that. But in Christ, you see the exact image of God. It is in Christ, you know, the, you see, you say, 
God is not like that. In fact, you can dare say the prophets were wrong. Because they were human beings, they had feelings. And they could abuse power. So now this is so powerful. In Christ, you see the true image. Have you ever gone somewhere to price something and the sales girl is just talking like, is it, call your girl. <laughs> That's New, Old, Old Testament versus New Testament. Call your girl because uh, there are two things with Oga. He has more clarity to explain the product. And then he has more authority. There's a way a sales girl cannot slice, slash the price. But Oga can do so, right? So he says, he spoke unto the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. He said, in his son is the exact image. That means the image in the Old Testament is not exact. God spoke in diverse manners, but we're not, in, we're not exact manners. He spoke in symbols. So it is in the New Testament, you now realize that that brazen serpent that Moses lifted up was a symbol of Christ. How he will be lifted up on the cross. And the same way the children of Israel who were injured looked at that brazen serpent and were healed. That's how all of us will look to Christ in salvation and be saved. Do you understand? God was telling a story in movie format to prefigure what Christ was going to do. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. In Hebrews 1, 3, you just read, he said, Christ is the very image. In Hebrews 10, 1, he says, for the law, having a what? So when you read the Old Testament, what do you see? Shadows. You see types. You see symbols. The law having a shadow of good things to come and not the exact image. Who is the exact image? Christ. Not the exact image of the things can never with the same sacrifices, make the commas thereon to perfect. All right. That's not where it ends. Anyway, it says, with the same sacrifices, make the commas thereon to perfect. It's the same mistake some of us make. Has, has it ever happened? You know, you notice that in the movie industry, some actors fall under <laughs> this stereotypical behavior of directors where if they discover you can act a particular role, that's the role you will act till you retire. So the moment you see Patience Ozoko in Nigerian movies, you know she's, you're going to see wickedness. You're going to see Mama G behavior. Now, something happened to me years ago. I saw an actor right after I saw a movie where he was wicked. And I just found resentment for, you know, rising. You know, I, had to, I, mean, I, I had to come back to myself and say, come, nafim, nafim, nafim. <laughs> Many Jews were guilty of that. Those lambs were just to symbolize the true lamb of God. But they got carried away. They thought that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. And it was just a figure. It was just an example. You see, uh, uh, we, uh, my wife and I bought toys for our children. Play those. We play those. You can make toy food. And I gave them a simple instruction. It is pretend. <laughs> Don't put it in your mouth. The Jews didn't get the memo. It's just a story. The fact that you acted Superman in the movies and you were deflecting bullets does not mean you see a real policeman 
outside the set and you try that, you're, you're going to regret it. How many of you did silly things after seeing an action movie and regretted it? You hurt yourself. Some of you know what I'm saying. And that's what is happening. A lot of Old Testament practices are still brought into the New Testament, even though they've already been fulfilled. Are you getting this? And so in New Testament teaching, we have to be able to differentiate between what was just a figure and what is the real image. And there are three tests, three ways to know something that is a figure. Number one, it is done with human hands. This is very important and powerful. Let me tell you this. It is a crucial aspect of the New Testament that from the Genesis to the revelation of the provision of salvation, it's all God. He says, for by grace were you saved, through faith, that's not of yourselves, meaning you have no part in it. Listen, any aspect of contribution, anything that involves man's efforts already tells you it is not a redemptive reality in Christ. If man contributes, if God does not get all the glory, if God does not do the work from beginning to end, it is not God. So they should have known. I went to the market to buy lamb. And I brought the lamb to the temple. That cannot be the lamb of God. Because Abraham told Isaac prophetically, when Isaac was saying, where is the lamb? This one that we are going. He said, God will provide for himself a lamb. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's a picture of salvation that God himself provides. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. So it matters to God that he gets to boast 100%. If Moses cut pieces of wood and went up the mountain, even if God wrote on the, on the pieces, tablets of stones with his hand, that's not a New Testament reality because Moses contributed. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so you come to 2 Corinthians 3 and he talks about the New Testament and the law written on tables. He says this time, not on tablets of stones, but on the fleshy tables of your heart. Are you getting what I'm saying? So those tablets of stones were just a figure of unregenerated hearts. Now your heart is regenerated. And God has written it in your heart. If it is done with human hands, it is not a New Testament reality. It was just a figure. The same thing with Passover. The same thing with circumcision. The fact that Abraham got up and with whatever sharp objects I don't want to imagine, started slicing the male children. The fact that Abraham did it means it's not a re redemptive reality. Because in redemption, circumcision is made without hands. I showed you that already, right? Yes, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Do you remember? It says, in him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. So if it is with hands, then it is not a redemptive reality. Number two, if it predates the New Testament... If it predates the New Testament, it is not an ordinance in Christ. Therefore, it shouldn't continue. Very simple. And all these keys, I'm giving you work in balance. There are some things that predate the New Testament but should continue. So you have to be sure 
if it is number one and two must apply, all right? You tick all the boxes. And let's just see examples. I already talked about Passover. First Corinthians 5, 7 tells us clearly that Christ is our Passover. And like I said, it predated the New Testament. It started right from the day they were going to leave Egypt. And every year from that year, they, they actually carried out the Passover. And call it a coincidence or see it for what it is. Prophecy fulfilled that on the exact day, the Passover lambs were to be killed. That was the day Jesus was killed. Because he was the true lamb and he was the true Passover. And right before that, on that ceremony that the Jews had been celebrating every year, and the disciples would have celebrated anyway if Jesus was there or not, he lifted up the bread and said, this is my body. He was not instituting something new. He was explaining something they had been doing from year to year and revealing to them the true picture, the true image of it. This is my body. This thing you have been doing. Broken for you. This is my blood. Come on, are you with me? And then number, th number three. If the New Testament clearly identifies it as a symbol. The New Testament clearly identifies it as a symbol. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us Christ is our Passover. Colossians 2, 11 tells us Christ is our circumcision. And so today we want to touch something else. The theme is baptizo, which is the Greek word for baptism, which means to immerse. And we want to just see, get more insight into the doctrine of baptism. First and foremost, let us take it through the first three tests. Is, is it done with human hands? You know, in water baptism, Man of God, no matter how great, still man immerses you in water, you know, immerses you in water, brings you out. But then you see something in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 13. I'm going to go ahead and read because this is just preamble. It says, for by one spirit... Look at this. Read it together. I want to go. Hold on. Did he say by one swimming pool? Hold on, hold on. So he said by one what? Pay attention. So there is a baptism of the Spirit. And whether it stands in lieu of water baptism or not, we will identify. That's, that's the purpose of this. Listen, the Word of God says test all things. So, the fact that we're talking about this, I mean, it's the proper thing to do. Test all things. All right? So, now we know there is a baptism without hands. Number two. What did I say number two is? If it predates the New Testament. Let me ask you this. Did water baptism predate the New Testament? Of course it did. Because John the Baptist baptized people before Jesus died and rose again. And that simply means it predates the New Testament. And what you even need to realize is that John himself was not the first person to baptize. Baptism was a system for proselytes. So who are proselytes? 
Jewish converts, people who wanted to, who were of the Gentile nations and wanted to practice Judaism, the requirement was you're going to be baptized. And so even historically, they knew baptism to be a system by which you become a part of the inheritance of a people or of a person. Are you getting what I'm saying? So by birth, you don't belong to the Jewish nation, but by baptism, you can partake. Are you getting this? Now, John comes on the scene and starts baptizing everybody. You know what he was saying? Even if you are a Jew by birth, you still belong to the first Adam. I want to break it down for you. The first Adam ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. His body was compromised. Now he could die. As a result, every child he gives birth to, which is all men, would die. God wants to introduce eternal life. He's going to have to raise another Adam. He raises another Adam in Christ. When that Adam dies, he rises again. By the eternal life of Christ, everyone who is in Christ will live. But now the question is, how is that eternal life going to spread? Is Jesus going to have to start getting married, having children, so that he will start a new race? No. By baptism, we get spiritually added to the lineage of Christ. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so John was saying, even though you are a Jew by birth, you are not going to benefit from the Messiah and his work except by faith in Christ and what he will do. And that was part of what his baptism was supposed to symbolize. I want to read the text to you as quickly as possible. Matthew chapter 3 from verse 7. Matthew chapter 3 from verse 7. It says, and I read, But when he saw that many Pharisees and Sadducees were come to his baptism, he said unto to them, O generation of vipers, who want you to flee from the wrath that should come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourself, We have Abraham our father. For I say to you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham, and also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that bringeth forth not fruit shall be hewn down and cast into fire. Don't think that because Abraham is your biological father, you will be saved. You're going to have to trust in the Christ, believe in him to be saved. Say amen, everybody. So that was what his baptism was telling them. And then number three, we said, if the New Testament clearly tells us that it's a symbol. The same text that tells us circumcision was a symbol tells us about baptism. Colossians 2.11 tells us about circumcision. And verse 12 tells us about baptism. So Colossians chapter 2 verse 12 now, it says, Buried with him in baptism in which you also are raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Everybody read Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Together, one, two, go. Do you know what this means? It means, let me define baptism to you. 
I mean, when you read this, tell me, should water baptism come to your mind? He's talking about something else. He's describing how you become a beneficiary of what Christ did. Let me explain this. The man Jesus died. God raised him from the dead. How does that concern us? But now, by revelation, we know that the death of Jesus benefited us. His death was for the blotting of our sins. His burial eliminated the old man. And by his resurrection, we get to walk in the newness of life. Question, how is it that the occurrence or the happenings in another man benefits all men? By baptism. It's an arrangement, a technology by God called baptism. So baptism is a supernatural operation by which we all become beneficiaries of Christ's work. Did you get that? Let me take it again. Baptism is a supernatural operation by which we all become beneficiaries of Christ's redemptive work. If you feel that what Christ did benefits you, know for sure that that's only possible because of baptism. By the Spirit, we have all been immersed into one body. All that happened to Christ is as though it happened to all men. We died in him. We were buried in him. We were raised together with him. We reign with him. Glory to God. Now that's baptism. And that's what water baptism was to foreshadow. But you now ask yourself, why did John baptize? Why did he use water? Let me explain this with something I call salvation metaphors. You see, there are many metaphors in the Bible. I'm going to explain. Metaphors in the Bible that describe our need for salvation. One of them is poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Meaning no matter how much money in, you have in your pocket, you must recognize the insufficiency you have in yourself and your need for salvation. You can have a full pocket and still be poor in spirit. So that metaphor of poverty is used to describe our need for salvation. Another metaphor is hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? Filled. So now, that metaphor of thirst. Because just like water, salvation satisfies. And just like water, salvation cleanses. I'm telling you why they use that metaphor. And we're going to look at it. The Bible says in John chapter 7, verse 37, I'm just reading through because of time. You know, the Bible says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried with a loud voice. If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Tell me what you thought when you read that story. When you read that scripture, what came to mind? Oh, Jesus had a pure water company. Is that what you thought? What do you think he was talking about? If he said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He that believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 9, verse 39, sorry. He says, everybody read verse 39 together with me, want to go. But this he spoke concerning the spirit, whom those 
who believe in him should receive, for the spirit was not yet given. So listen, he spoke about water. He even said, come and drink. But he was referring to something else. What was he referring to? So as a good Bible student, you must learn to recognize that things are not face value. There are symbols, just as we have on the road. Just as we have in life generally, there are symbols in the Bible. And even if Jesus said, come to me and drink, he was referring to something else. But the problem is, many people have mistaken these figures for the very image. Such that when the real thing came, they were still obsessed over the fake. Just imagine you had a toy car and I bought you a real one and you wouldn't drive it. You prefer the video game. That's a prayer point. And that's what the Jews were doing. And I dare say that's what some believers are still doing. In John chapter 4, Jesus saw someone at a well and said, this water you're about to drink, if you drink it, you will thirst again. But the water that I shall give you, if you drink it, it shall be a well springing off to everlasting life. So he was talking about salvation, but he used the metaphor of drinking. Because that was just the communication at the time. But he was referring to the Spirit. A popular text that people misconstrue. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus is perplexed. How can a man be born when he is old? Will he enter into his mother's womb to be born again? And he said, He that is born of the spirit is spirit. He that is born of the flesh is flesh. When I said born again, you thought about natural birth. That's why it confused you. You're talking about entering your mother's womb. But I'm talking about a new type of birth, spiritual birth. Verily I say to you, except a man is born of water, which is the spirit. Did you get that? He shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Many people, when they say water and spirit, they think he was talking about water baptism, which is silly. Read several commentaries. Virtually all commentaries know that he was saying the same thing in two different ways. Water, which is the spirit. Meaning water was symbolic of the spirit. In John 7, 37, in John chapter 4, in John chapter 3, same book. Almost chapter after chapter, Jesus used repeat, repeatedly water as a symbol of the spirit. And so did John. Please, are you with me? So we want to answer the question, why did John baptize? For two reasons. Number one, to identify the Messiah. And number two, to announce the Messiah. Identify the Messiah and to announce the Messiah. Someone is like, identify the Messiah. First and foremost, you don't know how remarkable that is because you have forgotten the story. The story of Elizabeth and Mary. Elizabeth knew by the Spirit that Mary was carrying the Messiah. So you're wondering, John, you're looking for the Messiah. Didn't your mother tell you? But he didn't want to have ministry based on hearsay. 
God had told him, the person on whom you see the spirit descend, not based on what your mom said. Ah, you won't believe what happened when I was pregnant. And Auntie Mary was also pregnant. No, he didn't want to do that. God had told him how to identify the Messiah. So now you have to see baptism for what it was. It was a strategy for finding the Messiah. Someone put it beautifully, and it's so true. He said, you will notice that after John the Baptist identified the Messiah through baptism, there's no record of him baptizing anyone anymore. Because his true, his true mission was to point people to the person who takes away sins. If water baptism was really about sin and repentance, why would he stop after he had found the Messiah? Because his true assignment was to point and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And water baptism was just a strategy to find that person who takes away... Listen, if he thought water baptism took away sins or was actually efficacious for cleansing, he wouldn't have stopped. Come on, are you with me? So it was a symbol that had a message. Acts chapter 19 verse 4. This is what Paul taught it. He said, then Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying, just the same way the brazen serpent of Moses was saying something about what Christ will do. John's baptism was saying something. Come on, are you with me? And now for the most important thing you must know. We're going to read four texts. Write this down. John chapter 1 verse 22. We'll read John 1, 22 and 23. We'll read John, no, sorry, John 1, 22, 23. Luke 3, 16. We'll read Matthew 3, 11. And we'll read Mark chapter 1, verse 8. Let me tell you this. And let me tell you why what you're about to read is important. If I get four people to tell the same story, they will likely miss out some details. But they will all say the most important thing. Are you getting what I'm saying? Yes, sir. So if you get someone to give a recap of this service, they just might not mention the type of rock that was here. Because there are more important things, like what was preached, what was sung. So it's a very important principle in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that any story or any statement that appears in all four must be very important. Because if Matthew was telling the salvation story, and Luke was telling the salvation story, and John was telling the salvation story, and Mark was telling the salvation story, the details that they all mention must be very important. Is that simple enough? Now, those four references we're about to read are saying the same thing in all four Gospels. John chapter 1, verse 32 to 33. 
It says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Did you see this? Everybody pay close attention to this. He that sent me to baptize with what? Said that he, the Messiah, will baptize with what? Again, listen, listen. Let me tell you why you're going to repeat this. Because when you're dealing with people who have mental models and don't see things that are clear, you use repetition so that it opens up. He that sent me to baptize with water said the Messiah will baptize with what? One more time. God sent me to baptize with water and told me that the Messiah will baptize with what? Whose baptism is water baptism? What baptism is the baptism of Christ? Spirit! He sent me to baptize with water, me, and told me that the Messiah will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Look at Luke chapter 3, verse 16. Luke chapter 3, verse 16 is more emphatic. You're not, listen. Oh, my goodness. Can you read Luke 3, 16 together? One, two, go. Pay attention. I baptize with water, but someone mightier is coming. What does that tell you about water baptism in comparison with the baptism of the Spirit? The baptism of the Spirit is mightier. I baptize with water, but one mightier than I is coming. So mighty that I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. It's not a comparison of shoes. Oh, you wear Michael Kors? Ah, wait till you see my own. It was a comparison of baptisms. I baptize with water, but he that is coming is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Is that clear? What is the next text we're reading now? Matthew 3.11. It gets deeper. I like the way Matthew put his own. Matthew 3, 11. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Same thought, he's mightier than I. His baptism is mighty. His efficacy is greater than mine. In fact, mine cannot stand next to his. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Mark chapter 1 verse 8, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Why then did the disciples baptize? So many reasons come to mind. First and foremost, a good number of them used to be John's disciples. Are you aware? And so the Bible tells us, as they followed Jesus, 
They just kept on. Even the Bible made sure to tell us Jesus never baptized anyone with water. John chapter 4 verse 2 tells us that. I read it. It says, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. Clearly, listen, it's not an accident that the Bible made sure to tell us. Why else was that detail important? And then in John chapter 3, verse 26, John gives a very emotional speech. From verse 27, he said, A man can receive nothing except it be given to him from heaven. You yourself bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. He's using marriage analogy. Imagine you are a guest to a wedding. Who owns the bride? Bridegroom. He said, I'm the friend of the bride. I stand and I watch and I rejoice. That's my role in all this. Verse 30. He must increase. I must decrease. Was he talking about height? Natural height. What was he saying will increase? Christ and his ministry and his baptism. And he said, I must decrease. Listen, the person who started water baptism expected his baptism to fade away. I mean, Christ is come. His baptism is mightier than I. He expected it to fade. It's all done. It's all fulfilled. He said, he must increase. I must decrease. And so someone now would ask, the question, why then did Jesus say, go into all the world, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? You know, some people think he was talking about water baptism. I have a lot to say about that, but let me just tell you something very important. You have to realize that for a long time, even the disciples themselves were learning to understand what Christ had done. Think about it. In Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, oh, Peter still didn't know that Gentiles could be saved. Did you hear what I just said? In Cornelius' house, he still had a struggle. Acts chapter 10. Even after Peter knew, the folks in Jerusalem, the other apostles were still not persuaded. They were still debating it in Acts 15. You know what that tells you? That the fact that you saw them do some things does not mean it was doctrinally accurate. Do you understand? You have to dig deeper to study in the light of the fullness of what Christ has done. So it is true that in Acts chapter 8, Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. But in Acts chapter 10, Peter did not know a Gentile could be saved. God had to persuade him. It is true that after Cornelius was baptized with the Spirit, Peter still baptized him with water. Which actually, in proper understanding, makes absolutely no sense. You know, by the way, in many churches today, you are told that before you can receive Holy Spirit baptism, you must be baptized with water. 
So I remember years, years ago, I went out to evangelize and I entered one DSTV shop, I'll never forget. And I was preaching to the woman and she said, okay, I'm, I'm born again. I said, okay, are you filled with the spirit? She said, no. I said, why not? She said, um, in a few weeks time, I'll be filled. I said, what do you mean? She said, I'm going through baptismal class. Ah, I just opened Acts 10. While Peter yet spake, the Holy Ghost fell. So, so Cornelius had not been baptized with water, and he was filled with the Spirit. So I said, in your next class, ask. <laughs> Sorry, now. it's no question. I said, woman, don't wait for tomorrow. I said, if you are ready now, 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 you receive it. You see, bad doctrine is terrible. You have to wait for something that is readily available. Listen, we are not just being, um, you know, we're not just looking for details where there are no details. This is important. We're talking about the glory of Christ. If the Bible calls the baptism of the Spirit greater, let's recognize it as greater. Let what John requested be fulfilled. Let him increase and John decrease. That was John's request. Praise the Lord. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 1.14. And you have to understand, if you believe that water baptism is for today, then you can't believe in Paul. Because it is either what Paul said is correct, or he is very much a heretic for saying this. In 1 Corinthians 1.14, he said, I thank my God I baptized none of you. This is a church. He's talking to a church historically that had somewhere around 5,000 members. And he said, I thank God. So that means maybe their salvation should be called to question. Since water baptism must come with salvation. He says, I thank my God I baptized none of you except Crippus and Gaius, verse 15. Lest any one of you should say that I baptized in my own name, verse 16. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Verse 17, everybody read together loud as you can, one, two, go. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Hold on. What about Matthew um, 28, 19? Going to the world, preaching the gospel, baptize, meaning the baptism he was talking about there was the true baptism of the Spirit. Immerse them in the Spirit by teaching them the truth about what I've done. Because the baptism of water was just a story. It was the salvation story. If water baptism was about repentance from sin, why was Jesus baptized? Why? But he was baptized because it was his baptism. When John, listen, it was the picture of salvation metaphorically, when John immersed him in the water, it was the picture that he would die. When John brought him out, it was the picture that he would rise. Then guess what happened? God spoke from heaven, the picture of justification. The Spirit has descended. That's salvation story. Listen. 
You die with Christ, you rise again, you are justified, you receive the Holy Spirit. So that was what it was about. It was a type and shadow of the original stuff that we now have. So Peter was surprised. I'm talking to Gentiles. I'm not even done. Then the Holy Spirit descends. And then in Acts chapter 11 from verse 15, he begins to tell the story. Oh, glory to God. Come on, are you blessed, somebody? He tells the story in Acts eleven fifteen. He said, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Verse 16, he says, then I remembered the word of the Lord. How that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. He said, what happened in Cornelius' house reminded him of what God said. It meant all the while water was just a symbol of the Spirit. You've received the Holy Spirit. You've received something bigger. You've received something better, something faster. Just imagine Jesus on the cross and the other guy on the cross beside him. Say, remember me in paradise. And Jesus said, ah, no swimming pool here. Sorry, you cannot be saved. <laughs> he didn't need all that. He said, I said to you today... You shall be with me in paradise because the baptism is by confession. Listen, he said, this picky of the spirit which them that believe on him should receive. So how do you drink? When he said, come to me and drink, how do you drink? By believing what he said. We received something more efficacious. I was flying in from Abuja yesterday morning. And something happened that I will never forget. As the flight were, I mean, thousands of feet above the ground, all of a sudden I started hearing sobs by my side. And I looked at the lady, she was crying, and she looked at me straight in the eye and said, who are you? I said, what do you mean? She said, I feel something. She said, my knees are buckling. She said, who are you? She said, your eyes, don't look at me, I might fall. Who are you? And she kept probing. I had to tell her. I said, I'm a pastor. I'm a man of God. I, I explained. You know? She said, do you feel like this all the time? I said, mostly. All the time, but I'm not as conscious of it all the time. You know? She said, what, what, so what happened? I said, I prayed before the plane took off. Hallelujah. You've received something more efficacious. What I ain't got nothing on that. You can't carry water on a plane. Are you listening to me? But you can carry, listen, it says out of him, out of your belly. Do you understand? It says, they that believe on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow. Goshas. Goshas. You don't have to carry water with you. You carry an endless stream. Jesus told that woman at the well, he said, they that believe in them shall be a well, springing to everlasting life. So on a plane, you can share some. In your office, you can share some. On the road, you can share some. Listen, I knew what was happening. It was not the first time. I remember some years ago, we were going somewhere to preach. We had stared up ourselves in the house praying. You know, that time, we, all we had was suits. We used to, use to bike to go out. Ministration, no? 
We will bike like this, calm down with sweaty face, but full of the spirit. We had Mushin bus stop, and one Yoruba guy came to me looking funny. Looked at me, were you there? I think he was there. He said, he said, Ojuet Dabi Mimimo. Do you understand that in Yoruba? He said, he said, you look like Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. He said, he that is thirsty, come to me and drink. I want to ask you, is there anyone who has received the baptism that the Bible talks about? The baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. It's salvation. That's what it is. The moment you believe and you are saved, you have received that baptism. Your life has changed. Then with you, with this Holy Spirit you have, you still carry yourself and enter water. Next time, just carry soap. Make it complete. <laughs> carry sponge. Because John looked at what you were going to get. He said, what I'm doing. He said, I can't even, he said, I can't touch the shoes of someone who has that. I can't touch the shoes. I want you to give God glory for what you have in his spirits. You might, you, listen, as you're standing here, you might feel like you have not drank water, but I'm telling you, there's a well inside you. Thank him for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now you can change the world, I'm telling you. You will never thirst again. You will never thirst again. Listen, walk in the consciousness. Walk in the consciousness. He has put water in you. He has put fire in you. Your life is not the same. You are not ordinary. Listen to me. Listen to me. With whatever mindset and mentality you looked at water baptism, recognize something greater in you. You are not ordinary. Jesus said, anybody that drinks of this water will never test. If you have drank of it, you can't be the same. Let God be true and all men liars. He said, out of your belly shall flow. <laughs> Listen, I have enough for the world to drink. Endless supplies from within. A well, I carry a well inside. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.